Have you ever found yourself after a game of D&D debating over a particular rule that came up and trying to figure out, as a group, how to break it? As a DM, do you get that feeling of dread when your player asks, if you look at it this way? Well, we decided to turn that into a podcast. A group of DMs come together every episode as we discuss how rules is written, we can figure out how to maximize what we can do with a rule, and how we can use other rules to break the game. Each episode, we will be joined by a guest, including DMs from some of our favorite podcasts, and get a sneak peek behind the DM screen from some of our favorite shows as they share their own thoughts and experiences on a particular rule and how it has affected their games. Please feel free to jump in on our discussions by leaving us a comment on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or feel free to email me at dm at dndraw.com, or send us a tweet to at rules as written and let us know how the rule may have come up during one of your games or how you figured out a way to break the game that we didn't discuss so thanks for joining us hey everyone i'm tony hi this is bethany hey rachel here hi i'm rob i'm the host of the law masters podcast a podcast full of dm inspiration each week Today, we will be discussing player character deaths. Rob, thanks for joining us on this. It's my pleasure. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about Loremasters? Sure. So, um, overarchingly, I run a f- network called Kaiju FM, doing podcasts and things. Um, and I'm a massive consumer of um, role-playing podcasts. I listen to a lot. But because I live in the wilds of Middle England, <laughs> I don't have local friends to play with. So, I didn't really couldn't really put together a an actual play podcast. And I thought, well, what, what can I do? What can I do? I've been a dungeon master for about 15 years. And I thought, you know, one thing I love about being a dungeon master is making stuff. So inventing peoples and places and objects and cults and, you know, demon lords and magical swords, and that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, that's something. That's something that, that people might be interested in doing and listen to. So I put together this show. So essentially it is each week. It's only about five minutes long. It's a very short show. Um, but I write it up in advance. I script out a little bit of a story. So explaining a bit of the world in which you find this item or this person or this place. A little bit of sort of flavour intro to it. Then I kind of go into the, what I call the in-game history. So if we if we buy into the world, you know, what was the history of the item? Who made it? Where did it come from? Who founded the city? What does the person look like? All that kind of stuff. And then I kind of end with some stats. So if you want to, I mean, these are all kind of pitched depending on what level your your players are at. But obviously you can kind of take those stats and, and run with them and do things with them. Some of them it's as simple as this is a cloak. It gives you advantage on stealth rolls. Um, some of them, like the one I, one I released uh, yesterday from recording. I'm not sure it's going to go out. The Broken Bone? The Broken Bone. I was just um, listening to that. <laughs> um, it's much more of a, this is a plot hook. You can hang some stories off. Um, so they are, the spoilers look at the Broken Bone are a, a cult of adventurers who are trying to kill the gods. And the idea being that if you're at lower levels, they're just kind of, they're just in the, they are too huge for you to deal with. It's like fighting Cthulhu. You can't <laughs> deal with them. You can just kind of interact with one-on-one with their adventurers. But the higher up you go, actually combating the cult becomes a, a viable campaign arc. Um, and I ended it with the, the idea being if, if they're really high level, then you can have the the broken blown succeed and kill all the gods, and what happens yeah. then? So the the idea that, that, that they always end with a bit of more 
game tech, shall we say, crunch, as it's called, or the, the idea that the, the numbers and the ideas behind them. Say so they're only about they the range from about three minutes to about five minutes maximum, really. Um, okay. And yet weekly, it's just a challenge to keep keep me writing and keep my hand in with doing something in the uh, gaming space that I love so much. Awesome! That is really really cool. I definitely mm-hmm. I gotta listen to a I bunch of this and might use some of it. <laughs> <laughs> Have few people say that they've used a few things, and that's like I can't explain. It's, it's the joy I feel when someone might use something I've made is is deep in me that I love it very, very much. It's yeah, it's great to see I, your I your creation go out into the world and and integrate yeah, with other yeah. people's stories and be part of their narrative. It's it, it's it's because you know it's just me making stuff up in a town in England. You know, it's, it's lovely when these things spread. Yeah, to be fair, it's what we're all doing. We're all just making stuff up in our various locations. <laughs> yeah, that's why I love it. I didn't have this as a question, but I really want to know, Rob, how many PCs have you killed, by which I mean dead, dead? Because I haven't killed dead, anybody dead. permanently. Um, <laughs> permanently. I think <laughs> over all the games I've ran and played, uh, ran, ran, I've probably killed like, dead, dead. Yeah. 10, Whoa. 10 15 <laughs> players. Oof. Okay. Um, yeah. That's probably, impressive. Uh, I can count. 10 from thinking about it and i'm sure there's been a couple more that i've forgotten <laughs> the, re- the important ones are 10 so we'll say 10 to 12 <laughs> 10 to 12 yes yeah yeah i i've always yeah. had i've had a lot of characters like knock to like you know they've been unconscious making those clutch death saves or they've died but they've been brought back within like that window for revivify so i've never even had anybody be resurrected in my games because well, it's mostly because Rachel's a really good player and she's their <laughs> healer in my game. So yep. she makes sure she stays alive so that she can bring people back. But yes. I did have the advantage that one of, the, one of my big campaigns, I had seven players and no healers. Oh. oh. Um, so that, that did play in my favor in terms of, 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 of character deaths. Um, a, few, a few people had healing word here and there, but there were no actual, actual healers. <laughs> so Oof. when somebody died, they're like, well, yeah. this is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean uh, but, I mean, we'll get more to this maybe later but I, I do have some methods for trying to avoid that mm-hmm. um, in, in that campaign I did try and sprinkle in advance ways to avoid death even when you were dead um, so that they they knew they had options if, if they wanted to take them so yeah, like, sure. what Let's, sort of mechanism um, did you use so, and a lot of my players will recognise this um, what I tend to do early on is if they are exploring a dungeon I will throw them a big sealed really scary lots of bars do not enter door oh. <laughs> um, if they get through that door behind which they will find a chained up um, and sort of bound and tortured celestial either or, or, celestial or fiend one or the other depending on how the characters are playing it and if they choose to release that person, uh, the person like, I'm in your debt, I will repay your debt. And then they disappear. Uh... And then down the line, when the first person dies, I, or, or the right person dies, I can call upon that in their history. Actually, you, you go to a bright shining place, the celestial you saw earlier is there. They offer you the chance to return if you want it to settle their debt. Okay. So that way, even if they are, you know, deepest dark dungeons, no access to a healer, no access to sort of any kind of spells, there are some mechanisms for them to maybe avoid death if they want to. Some of them don't. Some of them are keen to develop new characters. Some of them want to save that for, you know, a different character or that kind of thing. Um, but I just, I, I often try and find a way to throw in an early get-out-of-jail-free card. 
<laughs> so, um, oh, yeah. So would you treat that like a resurrection spell where, you know, they, they pretty much have just died they're, or they're being brought back? Would they have any penalties or would they just come back exactly as they were but healed? With that, that penalties, it depends on, on the campaign the players. If, if I throw them a fiend character rather mm-hmm. than a celestial, then most likely some penalties. There's some sort of deal or some debt in there that they have to deal with. Mm. Um, if it's a sort of a, an angelic character um, who's kind of on that side of the coin, it tends to be kind of coming back without penalties. Okay. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. I will only do this in the first probably three to four levels. I think uh, once you hit level five, you've got to take up the chin. If you die, you've yep. probably <laughs> made a mistake to get dead. Yes. Yeah, I had that yeah. same talk with my players when they hit level five. <laughs> I mean, unless you have, like, a healer who has Revivify, like, the threat of death is, is much scarier. I think if you have someone that you know is going to be there with you in combat who is hardy, like, Rachel plays a paladin, like, mm. death is a lot, I don't know, it's still possible, but it's really only a fear if multiple people are dying. So as long as only one person's dying, they're like, it's fine, she'll get there with the Revivify, and it'll all be okay. It's when you're like, mm. oh my gosh, we're all dying, that yeah, I think that's where the, the panic sets in. I've never had a TPK but I've had a couple times where I thought, oh, shoot, it's happening. It got close. Like, it's about <laughs> to happen. This is the moment I've terrified <laughs> forever. <laughs> so, I, I had a TPK in the first session of New Campaign once. Oh. I, I only had three players, and, and it was a, a rogue, a bard, and a fighter. Um, okay. And the rogue and the bard players decided to run into melee combat rather oh. than doing their range abilities. <laughs> um, they thought they'd go in toe-to-toe with a group of bandits, um, and they lost – um, and at that point, it was one fighter versus four bandits. Oh. Um, and he went down as well. And he, him being the, he had no way to heal the other two. The only person who had any kind of healing abilities was the bard, and he went down first. Yeah. Um, and I kind of felt like, all three of you are dead. You're dead. <laughs> you're, you're quite dead. You're dead. Uh, dead. <laughs> I, just, I yep. didn't feel bad for players. I'm like, actually, we're, we're an hour into the first session, and you've got to roll up your characters now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you stuck by it. You're like, it happened. We're going to yeah. live with the consequences and move forward. I think, I mean, running the different campaigns, I always think it's important to have that session zero chat with your players and say, like, what the terms are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to, <laughs> like, that, that, that campaign were going very, not real, because none of it's real, but we're going very kind of strict. And so if you're dead, you're dead. Yep. Um, yep. And I'm not going to let you roll up, you know, the same character with a different name. <laughs> um <laughs> I do have a rule across all my campaigns. If I if you die, you can't play the same class or the same race again. And if we're moving from one campaign to another, the same thing applies. Otherwise, you get certain players who will always always roll up you know, dragonborn fighters, or they'll always roll up el- <laughs> elvish um, rogues. So I, I, I always have that rule. If you die, you don't come back as the same kind of character. So here's something I think is kind of interesting that sort of connects to that. Um, I know for my campaigns, people have talked about dying. They usually have their their plan B character, which is a totally different like race and class usually, because they if they die, they kind of see in a sense that character build failed. Some not all players, but some players. <laughs> so they're they kind of see death almost as like I lost the game, and I think that's kind of something that I think is a little bit of a struggle with the way the rules work for uh for D and D five E, where it's. Uh, I think death is, can be an important part of the narrative, but it doesn't always feel that way. It kind of feels like, well, I lost, and now I have to... I have to fix it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't know that there's anything in the rules that really helps kind of push that part of it, where death is 
It's just, it's a natural part of life. I mean, you're an adventurer, you live a high-risk lifestyle, people are probably it's- going to die, and, and that's okay. Instead, it feels like, oh, either I died because I screwed up or because my party didn't support me or that sort of thing. Mm. I think, I mean, often I find it depends on how the death happens. Mm-hmm. Like you said there, I think mm-hmm. sometimes I've had, pl- I've had um, characters die because their healer wasn't paying attention or was off doing something else or... Yeah. They like yep. the player. The players got chatting about something else, and I'm like he's dying in the corner, and, and none of you are doing anything. <laughs> yep. um, I, I think sometimes with that, people are a bit like, well, like, there's no reason. Like in, in the world of D and D, there was no reason for my character to die there beyond the players yes. rather than the characters. I think yeah. that, that mm-hmm. mistakes, hard right? to take on the chin sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a mistake. It was mm. it was a bad choice as a player, and you're like, oh, it was just bad strategy or tactics or <laughs> inattention, um, <laughs> which totally happens. Yeah, I think that's what it's awkward yeah. when it's something that feels like. It's been built up to, like, I said I haven't had any characters permanently die, but I've always assumed it was going to be Tony's character, and I'm ready Oh, for I it. was confident my character was going to die. My character still is, like, prob- a super aggressive fighter. He's probably still going to die. Well, he's very, like, self-sacrificing, like, no, you all read an escape. I will stay and fight the final thing. Like, yeah, I'll, it's like, if it seems like our group is going to die, like, my character would hang back to hold them off while everyone else runs away. You know, very, very, like cheesy sort of thing but that's who he is so i think that kind of death like if it happens for tony's character we'll all be like oh he was a great character it's sad but it'll feel right yeah and then i will make a new one i think when i've played i've always tried to make sure that if they're gonna die they're gonna die gloriously yeah Mm-hmm. Um, I say uh, level one to three, you can just get wiped out by anything. Well, um, yeah. but yeah. once you hit higher levels, like with your character there, like you want him to die. If, if he's gonna die, you want it to be. They want him to sing songs about it. You want him to be tell tales about it. <laughs> um, and I think that's and that's something you want to shoot for. I think as a DM, I try and accept that character death is part of the the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I always try and tell my players like, like death can happen, um, and I'll do my best to make sure it's. It's glorious, and you will go out in a hail of you know, arrows, saving the rest of your party, or you know, like make it a good death. I think that is an easier way to sell it to your players. You think, well, if they're here to tell a story rather than just win a game, well, sometimes dying is part of that. Yeah, that's a good yep. point. Yep. I think the struggle as a DM is that the rules don't really lend themselves towards that. Like, I know you can mm. make it work, but it requires a lot of, like, planning, a bit of luck, and, uh, you know, really good knowledge of the rules for how death works, because, I mean, characters could just instantly die if they have low HP and they go against that big bad, which just whacks them in a single hit, and they're just have- dead. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rob, have have you ever had an incident, like, where they hit the negative max HP? I've had it twice. Oof. Um, and both times was from, was from falling. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because falling damage is one of those things, like, if you're, you know, 20 stories up in a wizard's tower and you, you know, fall out the window, almost like if you're playing by the rules, the rule, the mechanics take over there and you're going to take X damage from that fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I, I, like, there's nothing, I can't, you know, make them miss. I can't fudge the rolls um, it, it's just of, of the bad guy. I can't make him, you know, I can't suddenly throw a distraction in the fight to make the bad guy leave you alone. Um, if you fall off a building, you're going to take falling damage. And I think, I mean, yeah. don't do that, guys, because falling damage is, is it's, in the game is is what it is. Yeah, mm. that's, li- um, so- that's literally the first episode of our podcast because it came up because it's... My character died from falling well, damage. Well, because yeah. I think as a DM, I tried to prepare the players like falling is super lethal if mm. you're not at your max HP and you're not like just a super hardy character. Tony's character survived because he died and was revivified in was time. Was revivified. But uh, yeah, there's some situations where 
you can just die if you make the wrong choice or you're very unlucky <laughs> and it just happens. That's something I always try and bring in. That if I'm in a situation where there is something in the room, lava, a big death, a big falling death, that can insta-kill insta in that respect. I will try and telegraph it a little bit to my players. So, I, I, one example, it didn't work because of the player, but when they were fighting <laughs> on top uh-huh. of the tower, I had one of the minions and the other guys miss a hit and fall off the edge. Mm. And I described you seeing his body, you know, plummet down through and slam into the floor. Life yeah. on the floor. And so the, having an insta-kill of a bad guy or an NPC, I try, it doesn't always work, to go, actually, you know what, like, kind of seed with my character, like, this, this will kill you. I do like the idea of giving indications of what what something means, especially when it's environmental, I think, mm. like what you were saying, where they might not realize, oh, even though I'm a high-powered adventurer, I'm not invincible. No. Yeah, the indication of something being like immensely dangerous to the party, I, yeah, I like that a lot. I learned the lesson early on. One of my very first uh, character deaths was a... We were exploring a, a very old dungeon um, that came across, which they didn't know it was, an Annihilation Sphere. Oh. Um, and our, I think he was he, he was the, uh, the paladin um, or, the, or the warlock, decided to stick his hand in it and see what it was. <laughs> um, it's the only way you'll know. <laughs> and so th- after that, I'm like, okay, like, I see why he, he had no clue what it was and I hadn't telegraphed that it was really dangerous. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, that was when I learned. Actually, you know what? If, if I'm throwing something random at them that might really hurt them, I will try and find some way to telegraph it. Um, because I, I tend to run more, I suppose, exploration games rather than combat games. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of exploration games, so I hand out XP for being inquisitive, for being you know, willing to kick down that door. If, I'm, if I want to do that with my players, I've got to also highlight when they probably shouldn't kick down that door. <laughs> when there might be something just a little off about that door, they might want yeah. to take a moment. <laughs> Come back to that one in a few levels' time. Might yeah. want to do a few uh, yeah. investigation checks on that door. Yes. It's like, huh, this feels really, really cold, but it's hot out. Yeah. <laughs> so so we've talked about kind of instantly dying, you know, when you just hit that yep. max HP or, you know, negative max HP and you just die. I think one of the other things that's interesting is falling unconscious, which is, I think, a bit of a struggle for new players or people who have played in yes. previous systems because mm. it's so yep. different in 5th edition. I like it overall because it's pretty straightforward. Like... Mm-hmm. There's only so many outcomes of it. There's only so many ways to deal with it. And you pretty much know what they all are when they're happening. Um, The problem, I think, is maybe some players, especially new players, don't realize how vulnerable you are when you're unconscious. Like, like, well, I'm not necessarily dying. I'm just sort of laying there. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. But you're extremely vulnerable to, like... attacks (laughs) attacks <laughs> any any a damage you take is a failed death save mm-hmm. even from aoe mm. yeah so i think uh, like uh, in tony's campaign the other this one he's talked about i played primarily like a you know a damage dealer run in stab things run out um i learned very early out of the game that if my character got not knocked unconscious it pretty much meant i was going to die because it would only happen if i stayed in melee and then i would be dying and would just get you know, hit twice by multi-attack monsters and just outright die. It got pretty close a couple of times, but after that I learned, okay, I just have to make sure I never get anywhere near being knocked unconscious, because for some other, like, types of, of classes, it's okay if, I, I don't know, there, it's not as much of a risk. It also depends on if you are the healer. Right, Rachel? Yeah, like, when I get close to being low on hit points, mind you, I've, I think I've only been knocked unconscious like once in our game. Once, yeah. But like, when I get close, yep. I panic. I'm like, I'm going down. I'm going down. And the rest of the party's going to die because nobody else can heal. 
Yeah. Nope. You're the healer. She's, she's the paladin. And she has potions and stuff. But yeah. But you also have insane. a ton of hit points. So if something has like worn down, what is yeah. it? How many hit points do you have now? Like 300? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Like 30 something. <laughs> it's a lot. It's 144. That's a fair amount. Yeah. Yep. I'm hefty. But yeah, I think I, I've had to remind uh, some of the players when they are knocked unconscious and just sort of remind everyone, like, okay, just as a reminder, this is what being a knocked unconscious means. This is what you're vulnerable to. Don't assume they're just going to quietly wait Walk it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of the thing, too, is if you if someone hits you in melee range unconscious, it's, it's an auto crit, which is two failed saves. But if that crit exceeds your negative maximum, you still die. Mm. Yeah, I think I mean as we're talking about sort of rules written, the one thing that mm-hmm. my players come up against is that their metagaming assumption that the bad guys are going to stop when you're unconscious. Oh, yep. yeah. Now I, I, I grant you, if, if it's a if it's a bandit or it's a humanoid thing character, then they probably will. But if you're fighting wolves, nope. They're not going to stop when you're unconscious. And I've had a few players die because they're like, oh, well, she's there. No, that character's down. Fair enough. We'll leave them down. We'll come back in a minute and we'll do yeah. everything else. They'll and be all, fine. Yeah. They're still being eaten by wolves. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, and I think like that's where I think sometimes players can metagame and think, well, no, n- now I'm down. At least I'm out. Yeah. They're like, Rob Rob wouldn't kill me with these little creatures. <laughs> no, he won't kill me. <laughs> but yeah, I think maybe, maybe it's because I haven't permanently killed a player character that I'm like a little shy of like permanently killing somebody without, well, I'm okay if it happens. Within the game, I'm always afraid of doing it where there was no opportunity to to intervene. Yeah, I think I think, it's, I think as I just said earlier, I think it's probably a case of you got to feel like the death was earned, or yeah. that mm-hmm. it, it was part of the story. That a, a random death out of nowhere doesn't serve the story or the player or anybody really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's definitely a struggle. I, I think to make Killing death players. <laughs> well, to make the death feel not yeah. feel good, but feel appropriate and not just I mean, like so like my worst one, Bethany, you yeah. would know. Yes, is, yes, on is, the list. Mm. Is is when she walked into a room and uh so this was back in three five where you had to roll the crit and then confirm the crit. And I made these little mining orcs that their whole <laughs> thing was that they had a negative like four or five to hit. So I was like, I'm never going to hit. But if I do, they're really strong because they just mine all day. So they'll do a lot of damage. I didn't expect to crit on the squishy little sorcerer with like four hit points. Four hit points. It was like session two or something. And yep. I hadn't played yeah. D&D. And I was like, okay, I'm going to walk into the room. And then. Yeah. I... And I crit and did like 16 points <laughs> of damage or some ridiculous amount. I was like. it. You hit the negative 10 easily. Oh, easily. And I was like, just like, well. You don't even exist, like, in their memories anymore. You are so dead. And I was like, I am uh, so very sorry. And I was like, I didn't know that could happen. Um, I was like, can I, I do something? Can I do something with my familiar? Because I had this little, like, half ferret, half weasel, like, familiar because I was a sorcerer. And I was like, is there anything I could have done if I'd known this was going to be super murdery? I was so upset. I was very upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have I have ended this friendship. I'm so sorry. No, it's, <laughs> it's just because it came out of nowhere for both of us. And also, I did not yeah. realize how terrible my character was because it was my first character and it was 3-5. So I thought I was okay and I was not. I was a squishy, nope. high-end yeah. sorcerer with 4 HP. Mm. I will say players, players, some players can hang on to the player de- the character deaths far more than the DMs do. <laughs> I have a couple that were mentioned earlier with the bandits where they all died in the TPK. Yeah. Um, at least two of them bring it up every session with me. <laughs> oh, 
just in case, Rob, Rob, Rob kills us all today. He kills all of us. And I'm like, we, we just we just started a new campaign about a month ago with those guys, and <laughs> the entire first week, oh, oh, careful, careful, Rob might kill us all here. So they think you're several <laughs> years ago, guys. And it's your fault. Uh, apparently not. It's your fault because you killed them. Yep, it's all you. It's all my fault. Maybe that's why I'm a softie. It's because I'm scared of my players. That probably is the real reason. <laughs> they will hold it over you. I, I, I mean, that is one thing. As as a DM, you have to take on the chin that obviously you're killing players, but the players will be pissed at you. Yeah. They will remember. Yeah. Uh, even, when it, even when it's their fault, they will remember and blame you for it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, okay, I'm looking back at rules because, oh my gosh, we've gotten off topic. But that's okay. It's, it's, I mean, it's on topic. It's just yes. off rules. Gone around the topic. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I was so, we've talked a bit about just, just... death saves. And I do, I enjoy seeing players make death saves. Like, it's exciting. It's pretty much the most exciting mm. role you can make. Mm. And that's like more than any other time where you're like, I need that nat 20 and definitely not that natural one. Like, yep. come on. Like, there's a lot of like, <laughs> I don't know, prayers to deities, real and fictional, you know, cradling up the dice. <laughs> it always surprises me how often death saving throws go to the last dice. Yes. Yeah, same yeah. here. I think we don't we don't see a lot of nat toys that ones, but I guess statistically, like you're slightly more likely to succeed than fail. But even then, yeah, we get mm. down to that third roll where they're like, if this roll doesn't happen and no one comes and like stabilizes me or heals me, like, I could be dead, guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I I do enjoy those moments as as a DM because also I have no control over those moments. You know, they're just happening. It's just part of the story, it's part of the experience for the players, and you're just watching to see what happens yep i mean yep i don't watch sports i assume it's something like that where you're like <laughs> anything could happen right now it's all down to the wire <laughs> one interesting thing that came up against recently by my games about death saving throws is my bard arguing that he could give bard the inspiration to them oh now by the rules you can't because when yep, someone's unconscious they are unaware of their surroundings and thus can't hear the music that the bard's playing. Right. They can't receive the yep. inspiration. Um but it's one I've seen ruled both ways in different games that I've I've seen. Um the idea of giving bonuses and giving giving the people who are dying advantage and all that kind of stuff. Oh, well in that case I'm not a nice DM. I'm like, it's just a roll, guys. It's just a die. Yeah, that's all you it's get. It's just that one D twenty. It's just you and that D twenty. Seeing yeah, where the I don't future think I would give it. I don't. I wouldn't give bard inspiration to that just because, like you said, they're unconscious, they're unaware. Unless the bard is physically over there, like massaging them, no, in which case but, they mm, could do a medicine no. check. Yeah, they should be stabilizing well, them. <laughs> well, here's my question though: What if the bard already gave them an inspiration die to use earlier? They're unconscious. They're still unconscious. See, I come down the view of that you aren't rolling any of your skills here. Yeah, you are rolling a, a chance dice. It isn't a mm-hmm. case of. You, you this is, this is, your your fighter's stronger, so he has a better chance. Like it isn't about your character at that point. So nothing you have, unless you like, have an f- ability that gives you something for death saving throws, nothing that will give you checks advantage on that stuff matters here. Well, yeah, because you're at- not rolling a skills; you're rolling a, a chance. Right, because yeah. because as uh as the rules say, you are in the hands of fate now. <laughs> like mm. yeah. Yep. You as a person have no control. There's no like someone slapping you across the face and saying, stay with me or anything like that that will help you <laughs> not die. It's just not how it works. And I think I like it that way. I, I agree. But I have seen people sort of almost treat it as a ability check or, or, or as a check, as it were. And so th- there are mechanisms to give it advantage or give it bonuses. But I try and push back on it and think, you know, you, you're rolling. It's about that chance. It's not mm-hmm. about a skill check. I think... Most of them say 
There are some that say except for death saving throws. Mm. I know there are. I just don't remember off the top of my head. There are certain ones, yeah. yeah. So it does kind of partially imply that certain things can be used to boost a death save. But by the way, I don't disagree at all. I would just have them roll a d20. I was just bringing it up as a devil's advocate here. It's a good question. I think it it shows a bit about everyone's DM style. Like, how much of a hardliner are you (laughs) when it comes to to characters dying? And I'm like, well, well, once it comes to death saves, I mean, the good thing is if you are the only one who is dying, you know, you're unconscious or you're making death saves as a as a player character and the rest of your party is fine. Part of what's happening is not just you being in the hands of fate, but you relying on your party to take care of you, to realize yeah. that you need mm-hmm. help. And even if you don't have a healer to come over and, and stabilize you and, you know, to try to make that medicine check, because it's really not a hard medicine check to make. No. They just need to use their action to get to you and do it. And it's, it's only DC 10, so even if you don't have medicine, you still have a decent chance of making it happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I agree. And one of the reasons why I do like going to death saving throws is that it's one of the few things in the game that doesn't scale with levels. Yes. Yeah. So true. falling damage, yep. you know, a level one will kill you from cover stories. But, you know, the bigger you get, you know, you've got 130 hit points. There's a, there's a lot of falling damage you can take. Yeah. Whereas yeah. death saving throws are, they're the same if you're level one or level 20. Yep. And I like that. I must say I like that game. I like that a lot because it's basically like the, the whole point of all these hit points is just means that it's harder to bring you down. But once you're down, you're just as vulnerable as anybody else. Yep. yep. Yeah. And I think something I was realizing I was, as I was looking at the rules, I was trying to remember if we've ever had anyone actually just come back, slowly regain consciousness from making their successful death saves. And I don't think that really happens in our one shot. That's the only time. Yeah, the one shot. Otherwise, pretty much they either don't make them and die, or and then get revivified, or someone comes and stabilizes them, or an arc game dumps dumps a healing healing potion. potion. Yep. Yeah, we had to house rule how it works to feed someone a healing potion because that's a pretty common thing, I think, in arc games. Uh, they're like, well, what does it take? I'm like, well, I'm going to say it's an action because you have to take your healing potion and then get it into that other person's, you know, mouth. Well, I believe that usually it's just an action to take a healing potion, but we kind of house rule that's a bonus action to take one, an action to feed one. Yes. To someone else. Because you know um, where your mouth is. It just is. makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess overall, I, I do like how dying works in 5e, mm-hmm. because it's overall pretty simple and easy mm-hmm. to follow. Yeah. But uh, there are some ways I definitely relied on as a player character to avoid dying, like Death Ward. Uh, preventative measures yeah yeah like in tony's game we had a couple of npc healers like one who was like a full cleric and one who was like a priest and i was like okay so we're gonna make sure we have mutual you know a death wards established so both of our healers have death wards so we've got some leeway there that was like going into like the final fight with demogorgon so i was like Mm. okay they've got some backup um (laughs) i have known some players who want to just keep death ward on themselves like as a regular thing like i wake up in the morning and put on my death ward you know it's an eight hour non-concentration yeah. spell i mean I, I get that it makes sense yeah it doesn't prevent you from dying it just means you get an out that uh that first time you would have dropped to zero yep or if it's an insta kill like power word kill that's true <sighs> <laughs> which that spell is so nasty but it makes sense it's ninth level yeah but uh, have you de- used uh, Death Ward at all in your games, Rob? I, I, I have used it. I mean, we've had, I've had characters use it. Um, I have had characters use it to um, a bit more, uh, I'll describe it, um, innovatively. They, they use it as kind of like a protection suit to do things they shouldn't do normally, like wade through lava. 
um, <laughs> or jump off buildings. Um, obviously, if, it, if you hit, hit zero, you bounce back up to one. You could jump off mm. a high, a higher height than you normally could, because you know you're going to survive it. Now, I think at the end discretion there's only obviously you know um, insta kill as as a sort of a a uh, risk to run there. But I have had a few of them use it for things like that, where you kind of you go swimming longer than you can, knowing that you will die, but it will bring you back. It'll hold you but at of that course, one. Of course, if you're still in the situation that is killing you, yep. you're very vulnerable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yep. oh yeah, it, it, it's a risky move, but I think yeah. I think how people use it is kind of like a you know, protection suit kind of thing, like a, you know, a, a radiation suit um, <laughs> to kind of keep them back. And if they, they hit zero, they bounce back to one, and then they port out of there or get pulled out of there. Um, but it's a way to kind of risk going in somewhere and reaching zero hit points. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Or at least I don't think I've had the right opportunity as a player to use it that way. But mm. it does seem interesting to to kind of use it as your get out of jail free card that one time. Because <laughs> the barbarians have a similar thing um, as part of their class feats. Yes, uh, that's a a higher level thing where they it's a con save, and it increases every time. But they can uh, stop themselves from going to zero. Mm. I've you I've seen my players use that. They faked a bar fight. And faked killing somebody. <laughs> um, the idea being they, they they will actually kill him, but it'll bank back to one. Um, and th- th- use it in sort of interesting ways like that. Um, huh. So I, I, relentless rage—that's that's what it's one, called. Yes. Um, so I have I have seen people kind of use that ability to die and come back in non-combat encounters. If you see what I'm saying? And I'm all, I always enjoy that. I always enjoy seeing my players use things in ways you're like, well, that isn't quite what it's designed for, but. The rules let you do it, so yes. Yep. <laughs> I think yeah. I was accused of being a mean DM, but I, I, I love them. I love when my players are smarter than me, and I put a thing in front of them, and they're like, oh, "Actually, you can do this." I'm like, "Yes, you can." I didn't think about that. Was brilliant. Ha ha I I love those. I love those moments because that happens near the the end of the Orenthal campaign where Bethany used an ability that I'm like. I wasn't expecting you to use this in this way, it, rather than just use it during the fight like you normally would. But okay, this will work. So, real quick, too, uh, half orcs also have I couldn't remember what it was called, but the relentless endurance, which is the same thing. Mm. Yeah, if they drop to zero, they drop to one for the first time that this would happen yep. in a long rest. Yep. I knew there was another way to do it because I was like, Chris had it like twice. <laughs> but I couldn't remember how it was because he was a half orc. Barbarian. Oh yeah, that also happened in Orenthal with the the half orc NPC monk who got shot point blank with a crossbow bolt. <sighs> Killing NPCs is always fun. <laughs> that's oh, why it was close. That's why people think you're an evil DM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably true. Probably true. But uh, I was looking at spells for for killing. If I added spells for killing, that's all spells, pretty much. Spells for all the killing. <laughs> spells for pretty killing much and everything's living. for killing. But to, to some extent, yeah, it's either directly or indirectly for killing. Or distract them so we can killing, kill. Yeah, uh, murder homo. Obviously, uh, we did talk a little bit about power word kill, and I know that has come up, and it's always challenging when, as a DM, you are asking a player, "How many hit points do you have right now?" and they go. Why? <laughs> like, just because less than a hundred, no save, you just die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you have a hundred, then nothing. So it just well, actually, if you have a hundred and one, a hundred one, that's true. Because you... it's a hundred or less, hundred or fewer. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's come up a few times where it's been like on the cusp. But as DM, I don't track players' HP. I trust them to track their HP. I agree. Um, yep, and it. Partly because mm-hmm. it's easier that way, but also because it makes it more exciting in those moments where I don't know exactly where their HP is because 
my monsters don't know where their HP is. You know, my evil necromancer doesn't know. But I think that that's exciting. And kind of related to that, uh, Finger of Death. This, oh, that's a nasty This definitely spell. came up in my game uh, because <laughs> I kind of did this side adventure in Waterdeep um, because we got tired of Prince of the Apocalypse. They were like, and now for something completely different <laughs> to Waterdeep. <laughs> we're going to go and... I don't know, solve some sort of plot with the Xanathar, which was, I thought, really fun. One of my favorite parts of the campaign. But they ended up trying to go and take on this, uh, it was like an anathema lich I created. So it was like a combination of lich stats and an anathema. It was it was a horrible, horrible thing. And uh, Chris's character, I feel poor Chris, uh, he yeah. plays the monk. So his job is to run up there, do his monk things, punching, kicking, stunning, etc., and then move away. And he has the alert feet, so he's almost always first. Mm. And he was first in this fight and decided to run up to the main, you know, anathema lich, punch him a lot. And then stay there. And he was, it was one of those times I did not telegraph specifically how murderous this was going to be. I thought it was pretty clear when they knew going in <laughs> that they were going to like fight a representative of Merkul, you know, the god of death, that sort of thing. And, mm. uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, he died because of finger of death. And I mean, it's a cod save and. He was a monk, so it wasn't his strong suit. And he was like, well, how was I supposed to know? I just read in and die? And I was like, well, to be fair, you totally provoked him. And um, mm -hmm. you were standing right there. And, and he's yep. super evil. And um, uh, let's just uh, <laughs> see what happens about, you know, what happens after this round. Hopefully someone will come and, you know help you so yep. <laughs> otherwise i don't think i've i've seen a successful finger of death we've had some really intense counter spells of finger of death mm. a few times and those are exciting Ooh. when you have some sense that it's that it's happening and you're like <gasps> use the counter spell now <laughs> yep it's like yep. yeah they raise a hand and point one finger towards you use it use it use it use it <laughs> but yeah so the other spell i have on here was something tony mentioned that is a uh, new from well, xanathar's guide the soul cage. Yep. Um, I mentioned it just because uh, it it's an interesting spell. Use a reaction to snatch the soul of a humanoid as it dies and traps it inside a tiny cage for, uh, you use for the material component. Now, it remains inside the cage for eight hours or until you release it. Um, and it allows you to exploit the soul for, for different powers. But while this soul is in this cage, the dead humanoid cannot be revived. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of intense. Like it's uh, that puts you in a not so great place. I think story wise, it would be an amazing story element <laughs> to use that against players. I think it, it, I, I I I must say I'm, I'm not read that. Also, this, this is a new one to me for this puzzle, but I really like that because I think it's it's wonderfully a a plot hook as much as it is a spell. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Someone dies. Your your guy. Your guy tried to. You can't try and revive him. You can't. At all, even though you should be able to, and then that sends you on the mission to get back. You've got eight hours mm -hmm. in which to try and get back their soul. It kind of it kind of extends that whole death saving period to eight, like everyone else on a sudden this rushed mission to try and save this soul. Not like yeah, that. yeah, and it also makes a revivify useless, mm. mm -hmm. which is I think something that could be valuable. And I'm not saying I'm going to use this spell, but I think it's a great mm -hmm. spell. When sure. a party relies heavily on Revivify. Yep. I swear if you use this. <laughs> I was about to say, 
Revivify has such a short the one minute. You have one minute to get to the the creature yep. and bring them back. If you don't End if round. someone uses this spell It doesn't work. And it's a reaction to use, by the way. Yeah. If someone wants to do this, like you can't stop them with a revivify. Nope. The only thing that could potentially what level is it? It's a six level spell. Yeah. Counterspell. Let me but you'd have to cast it at a higher level, wouldn't you? Or, well, the one benefit of Counterspell is even if you cast it at its normal level, you kind of get a sense at least whether the spell is a higher level or not, and you can roll to try and stop it. Yeah, so you could Counterspell it, but that means you also have to have someone who has Counterspell who's not the person that's dead. Mm. So, yep. yep. Yeah, it's definitely a a fun spell that I I was excited to see in Xanathar's Guide. So, I mean, just reading the rules there, as we're talking about, as they're written, would you rule that, then, that they can do Revivify as they release them from the cage. Because it doesn't say either way what happens. It just says, once the spell ends, it's released. Um, so and- the key is, though, Revivify says, you touch a creature that has died within the last minute. Yeah, well, Revivify is about the body, not about uh, the soul, right? This is just yeah. freeing the soul. So I think you'd still have to figure out how to get their body back? So you either have to release the soul within that minute and still cast Revivify... Ooh. Well, or, I mean, could you tap that six times, though, within that minute? I mean, that's six rounds. You have ten rounds, technically. But it's non-concentration, I believe. No, I'm saying, I'm saying they have, once they use the soul six times, it's released. Right. So yes. if, let's say, they use six, like, the next six rounds, they use Steel Life to just regenerate health. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... They've used it and it's released. Mm. Yes, which does mean that you still have four rounds to revive. Exactly. But if the person is really, really evil, <laughs> they're just not going to use any of the abilities. Yeah. No, yeah. They're going to run, or they could use a couple and then just you know bank the rest for emergencies. Right. Right. So I guess that kind of brings us into talking about well, how does resurrection work? Because I mean, yeah. there's there's the resurrection spell, which is pretty great. So as long as they haven't been dead for a century. And they didn't die of old age, and they aren't undead, and they want to come back. You just resurrect them. And well, this one's big on if the soul is free and willing, right? Yeah, which is up to I guess if it's a player character, they get to decide for their for their character. If it's the DM, you would decide. But they don't get any. Like this is where they come back with with penalties because you know coming back from the dead is is not it's not easy if you're just doing a resurrection. Mm. I mean, especially if you've been dead for, you know, less than a century, but more than a few days. <laughs> Which is a pretty big window, <laughs> let's yes. be honest. Yeah. Um, and it does restore missing body parts. This has come up a couple times, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I think it was in my game, it was in that whole Waterdeep separate piece where they were able to beat a high enough level cleric who was able to, uh, or caster who was able to resurrect some people who had been missing body parts unrelated to how they died but those limbs came back because mm. yep that's how re- resurrection works and you know you don't Stools. have any mortal wounds but you do <laughs> have those negatives to attack rolls saving throws and ability checks and you can minus four yeah and you get rid of that over time by taking long rests but you're not you're you're not yourself when you come back and i think aside from the rules there would definitely be some narrative consequences to being resurrected like in Buffy. <laughs> well, there's also the issue there's also the issue to the caster. Like if someone's been dead for more than a year, the caster cannot cast any spells and has disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving mm-hmm. throws until they take a long rest as well. 
Yeah, I think for a player character, most other player characters would, if they had access to the spell, use it to try to bring somebody back. Unless they really oh, yeah. hated them. Which would happen. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, yeah, is it worth it? But ideally, you would get to have access to a true resurrection. That's, yeah, that's ideal. It's like the same thing, but where you don't have any any of the consequences. Mm. Yeah. I mean, resurrection, the one thing is the cost of it, too. It takes an hour and a thousand gold pieces, or a, a diamond worth a thousand gold pieces. Well, I'd say the main difference, actually, is that for resurrection, you have to have the body. Whereas a true yes. resurrection, you just are like, I mean, you still have to ha- touch the creature, but they can get an entirely new body if something has happened <laughs> to the old one. Yeah. You have a tooth of the creature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I will bring back their whole body from this tooth. <laughs> However, uh, true resurrection is twenty five thousand gold. That's nothing. How much is a life worth in D anD D? Twenty five thousand gold. <laughs> I have had this and a few times with some players um, where we've had resurrection as an option for them, but if they die, mm-hmm. they died via ways that destroy the body, so acid, lava, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I will just will just resurrect them. Like you can't. You, you need the body. Yeah. And, and you can't uh, you, just say, I wish for them to be back. <laughs> you, you need the true resurrection. And, and sometimes I've had players kind of suddenly realize the thought, the spell they thought was going to be their savior in this fight really couldn't. And and, the, and we've had characters die, die, because like, well, yeah, they're gone now. You, 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 you can't, you're in the middle of a dungeon. You can't go back and find a healer to give you true resurrection. You've got to do what you've got. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're down for the count right now. You're probably going to be somebody new. The uh, one of the other spells we've talked about a lot. I've never used it, but I love the idea of it. Is uh, reincarnate? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you get a new body, but it's not the body you had. <laughs> um, it's still it's still one of the things where it has to be willing and call the soul to enter the body. But you can roll the d100 and just come back as a totally different uh, race. Yeah. Which, uh, as certain characters, like that would be pretty crazy if you've built a certain type of character based mm. on their like racial bonuses and all of a sudden you're not an elf you're a dwarf <laughs> i like this I, I i i tend to i have a few players who are kind of what i call min maxes um who yeah. actually go and sort of they, they get the <laughs> right kind of synergy of their race and their class which i understand they're fine um yeah. that's me like, rachel's rachel's going empathy <clears throat> at you because uh-huh. it's me <laughs> and uh, this, this, this I, I, I just not not so once again i'm a mean dm i like the idea <laughs> that, that, that they die and all they've got is reincarnation yeah yeah i'm sorry you i mean you could come back you have like a what like a two percent chance of coming back as the same race and i guess you'd yeah. have to expand this for non-standard races even if you want to mm. make it a little crazier yeah. you could come back as a rock across <laughs> oh I, I like that <laughs> rachel would be down for that wouldn't you rachel oh yeah definitely like i oh, think bored. also narratively sub characters are like super it's really important to them where they come from like the, the character mm. my ultimate like min max character was a drow and if she came back as any other race it would be a horrifying experience for her because she's a drow and that's kind of central to her her core identity (laughs) which i think would be a really fun experience and like interestingly narratively whereas i think rachel for your like your character who's a earth jadasi if she suddenly came back as a halfling would she even notice i mean she'd notice she's shorter like things would be higher up she would have hair though yeah, she would have hair because she's bald. <laughs> yeah. So that just actually made me think of it. Like, I need to, like, 
get some finger clippings or something to leave with Grando in case I die and be like, go reincarnate. <laughs> yeah. Please go to the nearest yep. temple and bring me back as something. Let's surprise I don't care me. what. <laughs> Suddenly you're a dragonborn. <laughs> I'll be more beautiful, I promise. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think this is fun. I've never like had a situation where it made sense as a DM or as a player character for it to happen, but I like it a lot, and I think it's yeah. fun. Yeah, I see. You know, um, Josh, because uh, it's actually an option under Wild Magic that you cast this on yourself, and if you die within one minute, it goes off. Oh, oh yeah. And Josh was always hoping that this would happen to him. Because he was a Wild Magic sorcerer. Yep. Yeah. He was a tiefling, too, so he's like, my character be okay with not being a tiefling anymore, because, you know, yep. prejudice and all that. Like, <laughs> you know, typical fantasy world stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of the only ways that you have, you're brought back from the dead, and it could be different, and not, like, just a negative or a positive, but just sort of a neutral change. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of fun. We also, oh, we had on here Ray's dead. We didn't even talk about that one. Well, because it's different. Yeah, but it's that's where you haven't um, been dead more than ten days, right? But it also brings you back as undead. No, uh, that would be animate dead. Raise oh, dead sorry, is right. you have ten days, and then you take a negative four to attack rolls, saving throws, and ability checks. Yeah, so yeah, it's that. sort of like the revivify, raise dead, resurrection, true resurrection, or like it's like a sliding scale of how mm. good you are at bringing people back and how long it has been. And <laughs> well. For Ray's dead, it does not restore missing body parts. Yeah, so yeah. if you've lost an arm, you've still lost an arm. <laughs> yep. So I'm trying to look at what we have left in our questions. I think we've talked about most of these. Uh, one of the things we haven't so much is alternate rules for player character deaths. And I know, Rachel, you've used some mm-hmm. of that uh, in mm-hmm. Lost Minds. Yep, Lost Minds of Fandover. So, okay. Because that's a shorter one, I told my players up front, it's only levels one to five. And, you know, you get attached to a character pretty fast. So I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, instead of dying, you have the option of you can die and make a new character, or you basically fall into a coma for 1d4 days, and then, you know, you and I will talk off screen about what happens to your character and what kind of penalties they come back with. Um, And I I made it clear up front that they're not going to be, you know, like, huge altering penalties. Like, I'm not going to, like kill half your stats or something like that it was going to be more like flavorful mm. um so <laughs> flavorful mm. <laughs> mm, tasty so <laughs> it came up because of course lost minds of Fandelver is brutal in the beginning um and they were attacked by uh and this is the time i was nice mm-hmm. uh, i had technically it should have been a tpk um but I basically had the bugbears call off the wolves because they were their pet wolves and they all headed back because they are bugbears they're not very smart and i was like you know they're just gonna assume you're dead even though three so there's what four players i can't remember if i had four or five mm-hmm. players but basically whatever i had minus one because one was a pacifist so she didn't do any damage she was the healer but she also didn't attack but yeah they were all unconscious except one player was dead outright dead dead i'm like mm-hmm. well we will discuss your options <laughs> he chose to come back with like a form of ptsd that he was basically uh, if he took massive damage, he had to make, uh, I think it was a wisdom save or whatever, basically to avoid becoming feared. Um, and then anytime he saw bugbears, because that's what killed him by basically caving in his face with its club, uh, he also had to make a saving throw to avoid fear. 
Uh, so basically, he just like would randomly take a bunch of damage and go, <gasps> panic, panic, and just <laughs> drop to the ground in fear and have to start making some some saves. Uh, it worked out a couple times that he, like, I think one time he failed. Uh, so he was feared for one round, but then the next round he, like, got his stuff together and, you know, jumped back in the fight. Mm. But it was fun. His other option was being horribly disfigured and taking <laughs> penalties to his persuasion. Oh, because um, his face got caved in. <laughs> but he got a bonus to his intimidation because he looked terrifying. Uh, and also, he didn't know this, but there was also a random chance upon first meeting people that I had to make a saving throw to avoid them being feared of him. Because <laughs> he was so scary. Because he was so figure. terrifying. Because his face was caved in on one side. Oh, gosh. That sounds horrible. Yeah. 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 Gosh, that's brutal. <laughs> you could just let them die, but no. <laughs> he, it was a lot of fun. They liked it. Okay, so I think the last thing we had on our little anecdotes was you, Rachel, talking about playing with the, the kids that you work with. Yeah. The kids. <sighs> so, death. Okay, before we even started playing, they were asking about dying. Like, before they even got into a combat, like, I think they were still in the process of making their characters, and they were asking me about death. And it was very hard to convey to 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds that when your character is knocked unconscious and at zero hit points... You are not dead, you are dying. And there is a difference between mm -hmm. dying and dead. Mm -hmm. And then they all went into a panic about, well, how do I not die? It was very frustrating because we hadn't even started fighting or doing mm -hmm. anything yet. And they were like, okay, so I only have nine hit points. How do I not die? And it's like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to there. If that bridge comes up, we will cross it. And of course, then the first fight, you know, there was like three of them unconscious, but that was besides the point. <laughs> it was planned. It was planned. They were all to be knocked unconscious and taken hostage. They just didn't know that. And so they were all freaking out because they thought I was trying to kill them immediately. But it was more of a way to introduce the rules of dying and all that good stuff. <laughs> <sighs> I think... The biggest thing I've learned is that every DM has a different way of approaching it, even if we use the same rules. And I think that's largely driven by what's the right experience for your players. Mm. Yes. I think uh, I would echo that a lot, that it's about what the players... How the, I, 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 I'm talking about being a mean DM. It's about what the players expect from the campaign and want to play. Right. If, if, mm -hmm. it's, if it's a really you know, something like Critical Role, where it's really character-driven... Probably aren't going to kill characters. You probably aren't going to actually kill somebody because they've invested, you know, ten levels in that character's story. If you're more combat focused, then maybe death and more on the cards. But I think as long as the players understand through talking to them, through the world they're living in, through the the role play that happens around them, they understand the stakes and what's likely to happen. I think you can kind of play it any way you like. Yeah, and I think as we've kind of talked a lot. All of us as DMs want it to mean something and not just be a random mm -hmm. occurrence that can yes. happen, but that's not. That's not the first choice, right? Yes. But overall, I think as a DM, I, I've been DMing for, is it like three years now? Oh my gosh. Yep. I feel like that moment is going to come where a PC dies and I'm going to be probably equally upset. Mm. Like, <laughs> just as much as the player is, but I'm, I'm bound to stick to it if all the rules and see where it leads the story. And I think it's not likely that I'm going to have a TPK given my party is level 14. 
but it is getting increasingly likely that one of them might die. And yeah. I'm just like, it's, if it happens, it happens. It's got to be tough. You know, hearts are going to be broken, but, you know, we'll all get through this together. <laughs> yep. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of intense, but I think that's part of the reason we play the game, right? Is for it to feel like a real experience, even though it's a fantasy world. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Agreed. Well, thank you again for joining us today, Rob. And before we end the episode, just wanted to ask you a few questions. First, how'd you get into tabletop role-playing games? Um, it's a long-ish story. Um, I've been playing <laughs> D&D 15 years, but the story goes a little bit deeper than that. Um, when I was 14, so 20 years ago now, 14, 15, um, I got into playing Warhammer. So Warhammer 40k um, and Blood Bowl and all that kind of stuff. In this is the mid-90s now. So I got into playing those, and I got into playing uh, Magic the Gathering cards. But being a teenager, I didn't have a lot of money, and those are expensive games to play. Oh, indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so as I kind of reached 18, I went to university. Um, I kind of, I still had them, but I didn't really play them much. But I kind of, you kind of fall in with the same kind of people who play them. Um, and I started playing the Legend of the Five Rings card game. Um, with some friends, not the current version that's out, but like the, the previous version that was much more on the Magic the Gathering kind of bent. And okay. one day, the guy, my guys was playing, was like, Rob, I'm starting a, a Thursday night D&D game. Do you want to play? I was like, well, um, sure. Not really <laughs> having a clue what this, this was. Um, and I've, I went along and we literally played. I mean, the, this is a, in, a, in a dorm room, um, as you guys would call it in America, in yes. my friends. And there's literally a bed and a desk. <laughs> and so we're sitting on floors, we're sitting on the bed, we're sitting on his desk to play. There's four of us playing. Um, including the DM. And we ran through a couple of campaigns. Um, it was version 3.5 back then. Um, and we, we played you know, through two campaigns. Um, then we all left university and we kind of stopped playing for a little bit. Um, I had a job that sent me traveling around the world. I didn't really play for a couple of years. But then when I came mm. back to the UK and I sort of settled in one place, I thought, well, I really miss doing that. I really miss playing those games. The guys who I play with are now spread to the winds. Um, so I went and found a local group and just started playing with them. And then I've been playing on and off for the sort of the last six years, um, predominantly DMing. Um, it's a it's a, a little known secret. I've never actually played fifth edition. <gasps> oh, because um, because the group I play with, they none of them really want to DM, and I love <laughs> DMing. So I, I have DM'd five E for a couple of years now, but I've never actually played it. So. Oh. Uh, and yeah, I just I just ran games. We, we changed systems. We played a bit of GURPS. We played a bit of Fate. We played a bit of the Dresden Files. Um, a bit of Feng Shui for a little bit. This Feng Shui it's called. Um, and a few other things here and there. And but yeah, kind of kept coming back to uh, Fifth Edition as as my sort of my stored. And that's led me here now. And I now run two in person games and four online games. Wow. wow, four online games. Oh my gosh, I feel like such a slacker now. I'm like, I'm DMing one game. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I was. I have a young daughter, so I don't sleep a lot. And, oh my uh, goodness, a lot of time to plan things. <laughs> wow. Well, you're definitely wow. you're very qualified to be here, and I'm now realizing we're not qualified enough to have this I mean, podcast. I, I, I was thinking too, like, oh gosh, I was DMing like the Out of the Abyss campaign, and then I started the podcast, and I was like, okay, this is like getting to be maybe I can de- maybe like DM one more, but doing four online and two face to face is they aren't weekly, so it the is addiction like, is I'm, real. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, oh yes, I understand uh, it. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of where I got to where I am now. Very cool. Um, 
Well, I, I, having played so many systems, do you have a favorite? Um, yeah, it's it's five E. Um, okay, <laughs> I, I Dungeons and Dragons obviously is, is the sort of the the Goliath in the room when it comes to these systems, and I I I started on five three point five, which I had some I enjoyed I enjoyed. Then mm-hmm. four was the big one, and I think four gets a lot of short thrift from people, and people aren't very keen on four. But I've got a lot of time for fourth edition. Um, I, a lot of my players came up through fourth. And whilst it isn't what a lot of people consider Dungeons and Dragons, it is a it is a good fun game, mm-hmm. um, and it's a great okay. one for getting newbies badly into. But I think fifth <laughs> has kind of brought those things together. Um, I did like um, playing Feng Shui. That's another one that not a lot of people played. Um, yeah. It's quite an insane system, <laughs> um, in that it's designed to be over the top, um, sort of martial arts, Hong Kong fooey kind of action films. Um, I played a character called uh, Sister um, Michelle Rodriguez, who is a futuristic nun who drives a <laughs> Dodge Impala, who'd been sent back after mecha gorillas had killed her entire orphanage, and she wielded like a, a submachine gun. So it, it, it is very much in that wheelhouse of, of play. Uh, one of the feats you get is you get a bag of guns, and every time you run out of it, it's, it's quicker to drop your gun and pull another gun than reload. <laughs> um, and all that sort of thing. It, it, it's meant to be, you know, you you jump off a building and shoot two helicopters on the way down. It, it, it's silly fun, but it, it is a lot of fun. That sounds insane. Yeah. So, <laughs> I now want to try this. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I always feel the need to advocate for feng shui because I think it's one of the ones people don't know about. And uh, everyone understands about five years. Everyone knows about well, Dungeons yeah. Dragons, but yeah. uh, feng shui was. It's a, it's a good. You've got to get the right group. You have to have people who are kind of willing to buy into it. It isn't a you know, heartfelt, serious, story-driven. You're not like, it is. Yeah, you don't want a big, like, narrative arc for your character. You're just like, I would like to kill things ridiculously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little campy-sounding. It's very campy-sounding. In, in my first session, <laughs> one of our players, we were rescuing somebody, and he literally used their body as a battering ram. Yes. Bill. But it, it, it's that kind of silly, driving-off-buildings, leaping-through-the-air kind of game. Oh my god! Sounds gosh. like a good Saturday to me. Wow. Yeah, Rachel's like, I'm in. I'm sold. I'm in. This <laughs> Where I sign up? <laughs> Got any openings? Yep, let's do this. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> I can't take another game. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You, you sound like you're beyond capacity. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'm tapped gosh. out, man. I'm tapped out. <laughs> well, with, with a game like that, like, what... Actually, like this next question is just, what would be your favorite... Like, what's your favorite memory or, or moment that you've had as either a DM or a player? I'm, I'm going to cheat and do two here. Um, Go for it. One was from my very first campaign. Um, and it was it's the moment that really opened up to me what these games could be. Um, and it was basically we discovered a... Um, we were, I was playing a wizard. And we discovered that under the city we were living in, there was a cult trying to blow it up. Um, and they were collecting these two, like these two ingredients to mix together to blow up the city. And the DM had designed this long arc... Um, for us to kind of infiltrate our way through the um, collective and sort of you know, interfere with their plans. Um, but it was decided that a simpler solution was to literally mage hand one handful of this chemical into the other one, <laughs> which triggered the explosion and wiped out the entire um, cult at, like, level one. And it, it, it destroyed the entire DM campaign. But for someone who grew up on video games, especially in the 90s, which were very, very direct, yeah. it was something like, oh, I, I, like, there isn't a next step. I can do anything I want here. <laughs> if, if, if I can think of it and, you know, the DM lets me roll it, I can do anything. And that moment sort of really stands out to me as well. It's like, oh, 
okay, like, we are the master of this destiny a little bit. <laughs> um, the other one was my my greatest triumph, I think, as, as a DM. I was I actually took a whole campaign from level one to level ten, um, all the way through in person, which was a rarity for me. Mm. And the big reveal at the end was that their mentor through the entire thing had been the bad guy. <gasps> He 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 sent he he sent them back in time at some point to um, rescue some dwarven artifacts to bring mm-hmm. back to him, and all through the campaign they've been they've been finding the dead bodies of various people that kind of look like them, not them, but kind of look like them. <laughs> so you know you'd have a, a tiefling warlock and they find the body of that and you're like, well that's strange, um, <laughs> and it turned out that basically the, the the bad guy had been doing this over and over again. So when one party failed, he went back in time, changed something in their history, like killing their parents or adopting them, all that kind of stuff, to form them into the people who could finally do this mission for him. Um, and the big sort of big end was that them having to defeat his now demonic form. But just like the idea of sprinkling through over like a couple of years, these little hints of, um, well, here's a body of you, and this guy had been the one, all your backstories where you were, your parents were killed or you were dropped off at the orphanage, all these things, it was all him. And he kind of went through. So that, that for me, kind of having that texture run through the entire campaign was a big triumph for me. And none of them got it. None of them tweaked it was coming. Um, and they won. And I only killed one of them in the last fight. <laughs> that's that's a reasonable acceptable number of characters yeah. i'd say yeah one, one death and you still beat the big bad that's yeah i mean that's good some of them had died along the way but oh. uh in the last fight yeah. only one went down and how much do they hate that guy like it sounds uh, like quite a lot <laughs> <laughs> they had to fight through like a whole war zone to get these and rob, rob a bank to get these items and so they returned to the modern time almost like triumphant heroes they kind of swaggered into the last into into their meeting with with their mentor. Like, yeah, we've done everything you want. Here's here's your items. Really happy. Um, and he gave them a couple of thousand gold as, as he promised he would. And they're all off celebrating and not noticing that he's opening the boxes and getting out these items and putting on all the rings. Oh. Um, and then oh. I threw this massive fight at them and I built like a large um, like stadium for them to fight in. Um, and we tend to do theater of the mind stuff in that campaign. Mm-hmm. So to break out a you know a, a two foot square. Um, battle grid with you know wood effects and stone effects and all that kind of stuff it was it was a, a, a nice big end to the campaign it felt suitably epic it sounds it like it did and that was that's what, what i was shooting for not like ends of princes oh yeah so i'm running yeah. i think i don't know if i've mentioned you before rob i'm running princes of the apocalypse by which i mean first time dming i was like i'll run a module princes of the apocalypse looks good i'll run that and <laughs> realized pretty early on that uh overall the players hated 90% of the actual events in there because mm. there's no meaning behind them. Things just yes. happen and are. So mm. uh, they pretty much have gotten to the end of the princess module. Like they beat the, the prince of elemental evil. Um, well, of elemental fire, particularly this time, because you only fight one. And they're all like, really? That's it? I'm like, yeah, I read that encounter exactly. Like pretty much how it's supposed mm. to be in the book. And they're like, mm. I mean, really? Seriously? For level 14? Like, that's it? <laughs> We could do so much worse. So now they found out who they're really yeah. fighting, and they're much happier. By which I mean they're much angrier, which is yes. Cool. Yep. I, I think that that's a strange thing. That one of the things I, I like all the role playing games is that if you make it easy for the person to win, they don't like that. No, no, they're like that. I mean, okay, all of this for nothing. Yeah. Like all the every other game, video games, ball games, winning is the goal. Was it like I, 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 winning is not the goal here? Like people mm-hmm. want to win, you know, but it isn't the case of. 
just winning, winning easily is, is not the joy. The joy is you, either a hard fight or winning cleverly. Well, it, you want to earn it. Yeah, yes. I think that's the hard part about being a DM is you have to make sure the the party is capable of winning, but only winning in like a, the right kind of way that feels right. Otherwise, <laughs> if you just say, and then he dies because you stabbed him so well. They're like, oh, I mean, that's cool, I guess. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want it to be underwhelming like some fights can be underwhelming and that can be part of the narrative but when you build up to there's this big evil thing that's been behind it all all along like it needs and to it's very unenthusiastic and it's like well that's it yeah it's just a random <laughs> evil monster it doesn't mean anything narratively to the party it doesn't feel suitably i don't know overwhelmingly diabolically evil like a massive threat to the world if they're a high level yeah. party they're like I mean, we probably have better stuff we could have been doing with our time because, you know, we're kind of like epic heroes. So we're kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. We are the heroes of Red Lark. Come on. Seriously. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely a challenge as a DM. But when you get there, like it sounds like you did with this one, it feels really great when you've delivered the opportunity for the players to have that experience that they want. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's it. About to try, try and balance a level. And it's one thing I think I've really struggled with 5e recently getting back into it after my daughter was born was that, that balancing of the fights mm. mm-hmm. i mean this isn't what the podcast is about but like the, the method for developing levels of fights is tricky in, in 5e um and you want to yeah. find it like hard for them but not so hard you don't want to wipe people out too easily um and getting that level right and making it mean something um especially when you've got a bit more shall we say murder hobo style players yeah yep I, i'd have to say like um, early on i definitely treated it more as like a science like okay if i crunch the numbers right and i follow the rules i'll make an encounter that fits and i learned that's not really like, yeah nope well and one of my best examples was running out of the abyss um they they fight two demon lords in particular um and you guys you went up against weeblex demon lord of oozes and I left him as the stat block CR twenty three, and you killed him in, with no problem. It was like two and a half rounds, like and afterwards level fourteen. Yeah, we're like, so really, like, what's the? Is he coming back? Like, what's nope, round two? That was it. That's all. He, I mean, I was just like, okay, cool. Now I know when you guys fight the final big bad, which mm. Demogorgon, they get a hint of him early on and see him like toss boats onto a shore and all this. They're like, okay, we run away now. Mm-hmm. So when they go to fight him, it feels like that was great. It felt much more epic. And I just left him as it was rather than like weaken him or anything like that. Could you st- and it felt, at least to me, it felt like you guys earned this win. Yeah, mm. it was really tough. I thought my character was going to die. It was really like touch and go a few times, which is perfect, right? Where you feel like you could die, but... Somehow, by teamwork and, and heart, you pull through. <laughs> like, it, yep. it's kind of like a, the ending of a superhero movie sometimes. Well, I think I think just tying this a bit more to, to the, this week's theme. I think one thing I always try and do is if it isn't the big bad guy fight. So you know, before we hit the big bad guy, I often throw in like a, a random random encounter, shall we say? So you know that they get into a fight in a bar like that, and I always try in that fight to kill somebody, to, <laughs> and get, get, get them to zero hit points, but not kill them, kill them, but just get them unconscious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it always helps to remind the players that yes, you are conquering heroes of level twenty, but you can still be taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and always, if I makes the the last fight, even when it's easy. People are fresh in the mind thinking, well, actually, in that last fight against two guys in a bar, I went down. And I think that that helps to kind of 
instill more fear in your players. And that's what, as a DM, I'm always after is fear. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> you want them to be afraid of anything that can happen, but still willing to adventure. <laughs> yeah, fear and power, basically. That's what DMing is. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, Bethany, you even mentioned to me at one point, like, if in any sort of, like, even, like, not, like, a, a major mini-boss or boss fight, if you can get one of us to zero or make, it like, that threat real... Yeah, it's a good fight. Yeah, that's where I feel good about it. it. It at a party of six, if at least one person is knocked to zero and is making death saves, like that was probably yeah, adequately challenging. I can feel okay about that. Like, yeah, I agree. Thank you, Rob, for joining us so much. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, we enjoyed having you. It, it's been a real joy to be on the show. So thank you for having me. Anytime, and this was a blast. And to everyone listening, don't forget to check out Rob's podcast. Lore Masters.